So we're in this series called Dear Synergy, and we're finishing the series today. Today's week number seven. It's been a great series for us as a church to just reflect on who we are and the church that we're becoming in an attempt to become a church that pleases Christ. And so we've been looking at Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches uh, in Asia Minor. And these are letters that Jesus wrote or spoke to uh, the disciple John who recorded them and, and sent them to these churches. And basically these letters are Jesus' evaluation of these churches. And so today we're going to look at the last church, which is the church in Laodicea. And um, for us, I think the, the gist of this series is um, it's kind of summed up in, in my son Landon. Anytime he asks for really anything, he always says, I want too much. And what he means when he says, like, can I have something to drink? Will you please give me too much? Or can I have some ice cream? And I want too much. It means he wants a lot. Like, and if you just put as much as he'll eat or drink in his bowl, he's not satisfied. And he'll say, no, it's not too much. I want too much. But I, as a parent, know how much he can handle. And you've been in situations, I've been in situations, where someone only entrusted you with something that you were capable of, but you wanted something far greater, right? You wanted more money in allowance, but your parents wanted to make sure that you knew how to steward and spend your money and save your money before they gave you more. Or you wanted something bigger and better, and before you could get something bigger and better, you had to prove that you could take care of what little you had, something that was smaller and not quite as good. And so for, for me, I feel like that's kind of a place we're in as a church. I, I want like the best that God has for us. I want, I want his biggest blessings on our church. Uh, but I kind of feel like, you know, if a thousand people walked in this week, we might not be ready for that. And we might need to focus on where we are and make sure that we're the best steward with what God's given us at this point so that he can bless us with more. And so we've been just kind of inwardly looking at ourselves through these letters and learning what pleases Christ. And today is um, the first of all the seven churches that Jesus writes a letter to and has nothing good to say about them. Only negative. He says, church at Laodicea, um, you got some issues. We, we just got to work on some stuff. I don't even know, like, I can't even give you any compliments. You, you don't even have a good starting place. We just got to kind of get things together. Uh, and, and I guess Laodicea of the seven churches is kind of like uh, me compared to my brother when we went to the dentist growing up. He always, like, no cavities, everything's perfect. We'll see you in six months. And I was always like, hey, I'll be back in a couple of weeks, man. Like, I was that kid. Uh, and now, as an adult, I mean, I'm like high class in the dental world because they're taking my old school, like, silver fillings, and they're making them white, so you can't even tell I have fillings anymore. They're, I'm going to get, like, fillings inside of fillings, man. And um, Laodicea was kind of like that kid of all these seven churches. It's kind of like Jesus had something good to say at least about all of them. Some of them, he had only good things to say, but Laodicea was kind of like... We've got to work on some things. And so I think that we can learn a lot from this church because we can see specifically what Jesus uh, isn't looking for in church and we can seek to avoid those things. So let's jump right in. Today I've got some stories that I want to share as we uh, go through a little later. Uh, but let's jump right into the first couple of verses here. This is Revelation chapter number 3 and we're going to start reading in verse number 14. Jesus' words through the disciple John to the church in Laodicea says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, 
These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And here he goes again with this phrase, I know your deeds, which is true of us. Jesus knows our deeds. He's omniscient. He knows all things. There's nothing we can hide from God. He knows us. He knows everything that we do. And he says that about Laodicea. And based on his knowledge of their deeds, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I mean, this is a pretty serious indictment. Can you imagine being the pastor of the church in Laodicea and you get this letter through however the messenger brings this letter and you stand up in front of your church and you open this letter and you say to your church, I see your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. And because you're lukewarm, Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Some translations say, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. This, this church, their deeds would have been half-hearted. They would have been lacking in zeal. And there's actually a couple of different translations, interpretations of this scripture. And I want to kind of look at, at both of them because I think that both of them are valid in and of themselves. And there's something that we can learn from both looks, both um, approaches to this text. When Jesus says you're neither hot nor cold, you know, a lot of people immediately gravitate to this basic interpretation that says spiritually speaking, someone who is hot would be someone that's just on fire for God, that's just perfect in his eyes, has everything together, uh, they're living according to everything that he expects of them, and they're just on fire from God. And someone who is cold would be someone who is just far from him, that, that just doesn't have things together. They may claim to be a Christian, but their life doesn't reflect any sort of Christianity. And so Jesus looks at this church and, and says, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, you're like right in the middle. You're like lukewarm. Like you're not cold and indifferent in the fact that you don't care. And, and when I look at your deeds, I don't see a lack of substance completely, but on the same token, you're, you're not hot. Like there's no fire in the life that you lead and the deeds that you produce and the actions, the way that you live your life. I don't see that spark. I don't see that fire. And so there's this lack of zeal in this church, this, this kind of half-hearted church that just kind of goes through the motions and just exists, if you will. Probably a lot of churches are like this today that just, they just want to get through the Sunday and make it to the next Sunday. And, and when that Sunday's over, they're looking towards the next Sunday and they just want to kind of keep surviving Sundays and, and try not to offend people or make people angry and just kind of survive and, and have this happy, happy little church. And we're going to see a little later on the substance of their lack of zeal and, and why they were this way. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, that, that can be a temptation as a church. I mean, I can just say as, as a leader of this church, there are times in my life where I'm probably not hot. I probably don't have everything together. I'm probably not like so on fire and just ready to tell the world about Jesus because life happens and I have frustrations and unmet expectations and disappointments. And I can get down at times, but, but I would like to think that I'm not cold either, that I'm not so apathetic towards the things of God that I, I don't care. And so I try to live my life 
Sometimes I find it in, in this middle lukewarm area. And if you've ever drank lukewarm water, you know that it's, it's just disgusting. And you've probably drunk something in your life that caused you just to spit it out. You, you were expecting something good and it wasn't good, so you just spit it out. And that's like the mental picture that I get of Jesus here. It's like this church, their deeds. It's like he's putting the cup to his lips expecting something sweet, expecting something good. And when he tastes the condition of this church, it's like he's about to spit them out because they're just disgusting. Disgusting. And so my prayer, first of all, is that we would never be a church that's just apathetic and half-hearted, that we never lack zeal, that we'll never be accused of not being hot and we'll never be accused of being cold. Um, but most of all, we'll never be accused of being a lukewarm church that just kind of goes through the motions. You know, for me, that's like the worst possible scenario for us because I know that Jesus hates that. And so if we become this lukewarm church, then you know, that's definitely not going to please Christ. But really the, the kind of approach to this text that, that I really embrace more is, is more of a metaphor based on the water supply in the city of Laodicea. Laodicea would not have had their own water supply. And so um, to the south of them, probably five or six miles, there would have been a city called Hierapolis. And in this city, there would have been a hot spring, a, a hot mineral spring. And it would have been probably famous in that day for its therapeutic values. And people would have probably gone and maybe bathed in this hot spring. And they would have believed that it would have had these therapeutic values and could heal them from, from certain conditions. It would have been relaxing if you've ever taken... Uh, a warm bath uh, with maybe Epsom salt or something because you're achy. You know that it can just, just make you feel good. A hot tub is great. And um, it would have had these therapeutic values. And so what Laodicea did was they actually built an aqueduct. And they channeled this water, those five to six miles, into their city. Well, by the time this hot mineral spring water reached their city, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And it was no longer therapeutic in value and in nature because all of the qualities that made it therapeutic were lost in transition, those miles of the aqueduct. And so they would have gotten their cool spring pure water from the city of Colossus. And so it would have been the cold water that they would have had to get from there. So in and of themselves, their water supply wasn't great. And so they would have, it would have been the city that, that people wouldn't have loved their water supply. And so when Jesus says to them, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, they would have immediately thought, like, he's making a reference to our water supply. Like, we understand that. We get that. And, and here's, here's, I think, the synopsis of what he's trying to say to them. Like, that lukewarm water that's traveled all that way, that you built that aqueduct for, like, it's It's useless. The mineral content in it made it almost undrinkable. It had lost all of its therapeutic values, so you wouldn't create this pool and put this lukewarm water in it. It wouldn't help in that sense at all. And so it's almost like Jesus is saying to this church, like, you're useless to me. Like, the things that you have to offer, like, they serve no purpose. It's just like that water that comes to your city. Like, it used to have a purpose. By the time it reaches you, it doesn't. It's lukewarm. And so the, 
most raw indictment that Jesus brings against this church is you're useless to me. Like, you don't help me accomplish anything in this world. You just have your little spiritual gatherings and what for? And you know, I kind of wonder what went through the mind of the people who built that aqueduct, who felt there's water there that we want here, and so we're going to make a way to get it here. And they went through all this effort to build this water channel system to get the water there. And when it finally arrived, I can imagine like on opening day, they're cutting the ribbon, like we finally have water coming, here it comes, let's wait for it. And it gets there, and they're all just super disappointed, like, we did all that for this? Like this water that we can't really drink, it's not really therapeutic, I mean, it has no purpose. I mean, maybe we can like clean pots and pans with it, that's a good thing, who knows. And as we're building this church, I think that would be the worst case scenario, is that we work, and we put effort into it, in years, and at the end of the day, Jesus says, like you, you started out well, you had a good dream, you had a good plan, but like your product that I'm seeing now, it's useless. It serves no purpose. And I think for us as a church that in order for us to be a church that serves a purpose, is we have to stay so focused on that purpose and never lose sight of it that this never becomes a condition of our church, that we'll never accuse of being purposeless, lukewarm, in the sight of Christ. And so I want to share with you, if it's okay, um, five words, five words that really from the very beginning as a church, we just kind of said, how can we stay focused on what God's called us to do and serve the purpose that he's called us to and never lose sight of that? Because here's what I believe. I believe that every church starts with great intentions, but I think that over time, it's easy for a church to kind of, kind of turn inward focus maybe and start seeing the needs that they have and caring for one another and all their focus goes to what's inside the church that they forget why the church exists to begin with. I mean, Jesus himself, the last words that he said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven was, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Like our purpose of a church, we we don't get to vote on that. Like we don't get a drawing board and we don't get to say, okay, like, hey, anybody got ideas? What should our church, what's the purpose? Okay, that's a good one. Okay, anybody else? Yeah, I like that. That's a good purpose. Okay, is that no, no other ideas? Okay, let's vote. You know, who thinks that this should be the purpose of our church? Okay, no, two, three, four? Okay, all right, this is gonna be, we don't really get that option because Jesus has clearly told us why the church exists. We're to go and make disciples. So many times that we forget that's the purpose of the church is that we reach people who are far from him, that our church exists, every church exists to spread the hope of the message of the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world, to a hopeless world. That's why the church exists. Now, the church serves lots of other purposes and caring for one another, and we'll talk about some of that, but the focus, the mission of the church, it's clear. We, we, don't, we don't have to talk about it. We don't have to vote on it. So the way we as a church from the beginning have kind of created a statement just to say this is our mission based on those words of Jesus 
is we say that Synergy Church exists to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. That's what we've always been about. It's what we'll always be about. As long as there are people far from God in this community, we feel that our purpose as a church is to make Christ known in their lives. And that's not to like point people out and say, you know, you're worth condemning because you're far from God. But it's worth saying we were all in that boat. And by God's grace, we found hope through the message of Jesus. And so that, that's, our, that's our mission, that's our focus. But how can we stay focused on that and not let it kind of slip to the back and we become lukewarm? And so, so here's five words that from the beginning, um, I believe, and I've always communicated, whether it's a Synergy 101 class or whether, you know, I was begging someone to come try our church when we had nobody. And I said, I believe there's five things. If I can get a group of people to do five things, then we'll change the world. I still believe it. I still believe these five things. And the first one is the word worship. Is that if we can get people to live a lifestyle of worship, if we can get people to commit to worshiping here on a Sunday, if we can find a way to motivate people to make church, this worship experience, a priority, and people will kind of commit and say, you know what, I'm not going to visit a bunch of different churches. I'm not going to be one of these people that just kind of floats around. And, and I hear there's a great preacher there this week, so I'm going to go there. And I hear that there's a great band there this week, so I'm going to go there. But, but we'll kind of say, this is where I'm going to worship. And I'm going to dig down and get rooted here. If we can find a group of people who will kind of commit to that and embrace this worship in our midst that when we sing songs, it's not just entertaining, but we take advantage of 10 minutes of singing to be able to say, you know, this is my opportunity to celebrate the hope of Jesus and express and tell him how much I love him and how great he is and what he means to me. And if we can get a group of people to worship, then I think right there in and of itself, we've kind of captured a lot of the purpose that we're looking for. Because, you know, there's some people, they, they don't know what worship is, but the truth is, is that we all worship. We all worship something. You may not worship, some, worship something religious, but like it or not, we were all created to worship. And so by nature, we worship something, whether it's a job or a relationship or material possessions or a hobby. We've all got something that we invest our lives into, and we're simply trying to say, hey, how can we get people to invest their lives and to worship here at this church. So if we can get people to say, you know, this is going to be my church, and I'm even, you know, a little old school enough and to say, I think it's important to kind of put a stake in the ground and say, you know, whether it's here or someone else, you know, I'm going to join this church family. Like, this is going to be where I call home. I'm not just like going to attend, but... I'm like, I'm going to make it official. I'm going to commit to this thing and I'm going to let them know, hey, I'm committed to this church. Because I think in and of itself, that right there brings some solidity to what we're trying to do. And if we can get a group of people to, to commit to that, to worship that, and we can promote that and get other people to do that, then it's going to help us stay focused on why we exist as a church because in that process of worshiping and committing, we're declaring how great God is and what he means to us and celebrating that hope that hopefully people far from him will come to embrace. The second word is the word serve. And um, we talk about this a good bit, but I'm a huge believer 
that the church does not exist for us. In fact, that's one of our core values. We call uh, the code, we have 12 statements, and one of them says, um, the church does not exist for us, but rather we, the, the people, we are the church, and we exist for the world as spiritual contributors, not just consumers. And so if people will commit to worship at our church, but then they'll cross the line and say, you know what? I love this church. I get so much out of this church. If it's not this church, find that church because you need that church. You need to be a part of a church where you get something out of it and however you want to say it, whether you want to say you get fed or or however you want to say it, find that church, commit to that church. But then there's a point where you transition and you say, you know what? People have made this possible for me and now I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to, I want to jump in and get involved. And a lot of times you hear us talk about 6 a.m. That's when people get here and start setting all this up. 6 a.m. isn't for everybody, okay? It's not for me. I'm here, but it's not for everybody. You don't have to come here at 6 a.m. every day to serve. You don't. You know, you can show up at 945 for a team meeting, have a word of prayer, and open a door and greet someone. You can pass a giving bucket as long as you don't take the money out after it's fast. You can do a number of things here at the church and we just simply think that if we can get a group of people not only to commit to worshiping here at this church but they'll cross that line from consumer to contributor and and just start doing something. You lead a small group or you volunteer uh, during the week and you want to write a letter to someone as a word of encouragement. Whatever it is, we've got lots of teams. We'll talk about that later. But if we can get a group of people to do that, then we've now moved even further toward focusing on our mission because now we're saying church isn't just about us, but we're constantly reminding ourselves we've got to do something because there's people out there that need to be reached. And so we serve. And in this process, people grow in their faith. People have been serving for weeks and months. People have been serving for over a year. But I think that they would all say, even though it may have been hard at times, that they've grown in their faith because of it, that they realize the potential to impact lives rests in their commitment to serve and do something for the kingdom. And the third word is the word invite. The word invite. So not only are we saying, hey, this is gonna be in my church where I'm gonna worship, but now I'm gonna, I'm gonna get involved in whatever way that is, whether it's something very simple or whether I wanna be like deeply committed in serving, whatever that looks like for you. But now, this isn't just about me anymore. Like I have people in my family, in my sphere of influence, at my workplace, people I'm friends with that may be far from God. And I may be the only person that could care enough to invite them to church, to hear the message of Jesus, to reach out to them. Now, if you're comfortable like sharing the plan of salvation and telling them the deep truths of Jesus, I love it, go for it. Because your relationship with that person is gonna give them so much more to grab onto. But for a lot of us, something like that is deeply intimidating and we just said from the beginning, how about we create a church And we create a worship experience that thinks about people outside the church. That if someone invites someone far from God, they may have this expectation that church is going to be stuffy and and illegalistic and people are going to point fingers at them. But when they walk through the door and they hear a Bon Jovi song, they might just think, who knows, wow, I didn't expect this at church. 
Like, wow, what is this church all about? This is a little different than what I've just heard or been thinking about. And maybe, just maybe, we can connect with them on a level that they'll come back. Like, that's our goal, that they'll come back. And in the end, the hope is that they would give their lives to Christ. One of my favorite stories in the history of our church is an eighth grade girl that invited another eighth grade girl to a Christmas worship experience. A couple of eighth grade girls, actually. And they came, they enjoyed it, and one went back and, and told her parents, I love this church, you should come check it out. And the mom came and checked it out after we launched our church. She gave her life to Jesus, she was baptized, her family comes now, they're involved in our church. Incredible, because an eighth grade girl invited a friend to church. And we have more stories like that. You know, most people aren't going to come to a church if they're never invited. And I know that it may be, like, in your mind, our job to get the word out and, you know, we should have billboards and radio spots and TV ads and all this kind of stuff, but your relationship with something will go so much farther than any of our wasted marketing dollars. If you just care enough to invite someone, because when you're inviting someone, what's it doing? It's pushing us toward our mission. It's saying, we're trying to reach people far from God, make Christ known in their lives, and hey, I know someone like that. And so I've loved this church and I've gotten involved in this church and now, hey, I want to invite and include someone else in it. And if we can get a group of people motivated to do that, if we can find a group of people that will do that, I know what it's like to invite someone and them say, no, I've got a neighbor that's going to come one day. And when they come, it's going to be like an incredible day and I'm going to be sitting there and standing up here preaching probably on pins and needles like, Lord, just please let them connect with this. Like, please let them have a good experience. I don't know what they're thinking and I'm wondering what they're thinking. And I want to have this confidence to know that I've given them an opportunity to hear the message of the gospel. And when it happens and they give their lives to Christ, it's going to be one of the greatest stories I'll ever be able to tell. And it can be for you as well. So we worship we serve, we invite. And then the fourth word that I want to share with you is the word connect. Connect. The week after Labor Day, we're going to have our next group launch event where we invite people to come and hear all the different small groups that we offer for a semester, a 12 to 14 week semester. And we want to ask people to commit to being part of a, a small group of people uh, that these small groups look differently in different contexts. I mean, we had a group of men that had breakfast. We had a group of ladies that studied the Bible. In the past, we've had a group of men that rode mountain bikes. It's not all like deeply spiritual, though we would love for you to be part of a Bible study type group. But the goal of these groups is that you just find a place to connect because as the church gets bigger, it's got to stay small and that's where we feel like it's got to stay small is by being connected. And so it's possible for us to come to church week in and week out and never get connected. And when we go into a crisis mode or there's a tragedy in our life, sometimes we get mad at the church because the church doesn't support us. And sometimes the church might not know completely and true, the church can fail people. I'm not saying that's not possible, but if we're connected with a group of people, then we can have a confidence that we're going to go through life with someone. Let me read a quick little story to you. Lindsay and I were privileged to be in a small group this last semester uh, with a young lady, and uh, she recently wrote a blog post that got a lot of attention in our church, but if you don't know who it is, I'm going to keep it anonymous. Um, I want to read a portion of what she wrote. Um, she starts off by talking about battling with depression and how she's been through a lot uh, the last year especially. And uh, she gets to this place. 
she says, during this time where she was dealing with a lot of stuff and going to doctors and all that, she said, during this time, her friend invited her to Synergy Church. She says, I was churchless for quite a while. I wasn't raised to be that way. We were in church growing up. It's one of my greatest gifts my mom gave me. Church was a refuge to me, but over time and due to personal reasons, church became a hurtful place, a place where I felt judged for who I was related to, for who I was, and for who I wasn't. This friend was kind of like a gnat in a good way. She was constantly inviting me. I love hearing that. I love hearing stories about people that just keep inviting people and won't take no for an answer. This friend went with me to church some in high school, and I thought if she found a church, it has to be pretty good. No offense. So I went. I was terrified. I had all kinds of rules. I told her that I wasn't coming early to talk to people, and I I would probably sit in the back and leave as soon as it was over. I'm a joy, really. As I was sitting there, this tall dude starts walking toward our row. I thought, hmm, I think I know him. And the panic set in. He knows my family. He might know me. I'm pretty sure I need to run away. But Bronson was as down to earth as I have always known. We didn't quite know each other as much as we knew of each other. He was nice and mentioned my brother, which was always a plus in my book. I heart that crazy boy. My brother, not Bronson. I mean, Bronson is great, but, well, you get the point. I was in such a crazy place. I didn't want to leave my house. I was depressed. I thought everyone was judging me, and I walked into a church that didn't care about any of that. They meant what they said. They lived out what it meant to be a Christian. They were Jesus to me, and I needed Jesus. I came back and felt accepted and loved each time. I began sharing my heart with Bronson and Lindsay. A lot of this took place through the time that we were together in a small group. And they never made me feel crazy or unaccepted. They encouraged me, they prayed with me, and they treated me the same every single time. Everyone at Synergy is like that. I've opened my heart to my church family and they love me despite the crazy, despite the failings, despite my thoughts about myself. I am loved because it's how Christ loves us unashamedly, without judgment, without strings, just love. Now here's, here's a young lady that we don't know what people are going through. We hear stories every day of something in the news and we're like, you hear people interviewed and they're like, I had no clue that they were capable of that. Never saw that coming. You don't know what people are going through. And so it's important for us to make sure that we're connected with people That we have a place where we feel like we belong, where there are people that can care for us. That I can share some things that I'm going through with a group of people. I know that they're going to pray for me. They're going to lift me up and encourage me. That when they hear a song or they read a scripture and they think of me, then they're going to send me a, a note. I can't tell you how many people have sent me notes that have dropped me a Facebook message or sent me a text and just said, you know, just wanted you to know I'm praying for you today. And that connection is what I love most about this church, is the family aspect, the relationships. As much as I love Sundays and worshiping together, if it weren't for those connections, I mean, I, I don't know that I would love this church. So if we can get a, people, a group of people to connect to worship here, then they'll begin to cross the line into serving, and then they'll invite other people, and then they'll connect I think we're moving really strongly towards our mission, which is to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And then the last word is is kind of a dirty word in churches these days, but it's the word give. 
And here's, here's my heart in giving, okay? There's kind of this belief system now that, that tithing, that giving to the church, that's kind of an old school thing and people don't do that anymore and people just give where they see need. You can give all over the place. I don't ever want to stand in front of you and ask you to give because of a need. I never want to stand up here and say, hey guys, like, I'm not going to get paid this week unless we have at least this much more money given. Could you, I mean, I know it's probably tight for you too, but could you just give a little more because I would love to feed my kids. Like, I, I don't ever want to say that. Like, I never want to say, guys, I, I love getting together, but we're probably not going to get to meet next week because we can't really pay, you know, our lease agreement here, and um, if you don't give X amount of dollars, like, we're just not going to meet next week. Like, I don't ever want to do that. And so I've, I've come to grip so much with the heart of giving and embracing the heart of giving because it's something I want for you, not something I want from you. And to be honest with you, I probably don't talk about giving enough. And the reason I don't talk about giving enough is because we're trying to reach people far from God. And what do people far from God think about the church and money? The church just wants my money. It's just a bunch of people trying to get me to buy into something so that I'll give them money. And who knows what they're doing with the money. And because there's that connotation out there, I sometimes shrink back and say, you know, I'm just not even going to talk about that because I don't want people to be offended. I'll talk about that in other environments and figure out a way to encourage people in giving. But if you want to know Christ, if you want to become mature in your faith, like giving is a part of that. Okay, and I can be the one to say it because if you want to go like you say, he talked about money, that's crazy, I'm going to go to another church. Like there, when you get to that church, you should give. Well, you, should, you should be generous. It's an example that Jesus set for us and it's what his word teaches us to do and the more we become mature in our faith the more generous we are as people I don't know if people don't want to hear that but uh, let, me, let me read another word to you we, um, we have a group of people at our church uh, that are deeply committed to our church um, a lot of churches call um, their deeply committed people members and um, we call them partners I think that members kind of pay dues and they get some kind of service in return and I, didn't, I, don't, I just don't like that connotation. The church isn't a place that you'd like pay for a service um, but it's a place where you commit to a mission like you partner with us and so we've got a, a group of people who are partners. They've been through Synergy 101. They've joined our church family and uh, these five things we've talked about in that class in various ways and, and so they've committed officially to this church and so we have actually a Facebook group it's a, a private group for our Synergy Church partners. And in that group, we share some information that we don't make public with everybody because we know that these are the deeply committed people. And so we share statistics and metrics that we track and encourage one another through that. And one of the things that we share is what our weekly offering is and what money we take in. And uh, we just want those partners to know kind of what our budget is and how much money we came so that they can be praying with us as, as we're becoming more generous as a church. And so, one particular week, I posted some stuff and told how much money was, was given. And uh, someone, one of our partners, commented on the post. And this is what that person wrote. I'll, I'll keep it anonymous as well. Uh, she starts by saying she wanted to challenge us in our giving as partners. This is what she says. She says, I'll be honest. I've never given much less tithes on a regular basis before this year. And at first, for me, 
I was testing God, which, which is a biblical thing. Malachi 3.10, test, God says, test me in this and see if I won't open the store gates of heaven for you, the floodgates of heaven. So for her, it was kind of a, a testing of God. Approve to me how you will bless me kind of thing. And I want to say for our family, we've been blessed more than we can imagine. And it hasn't been just financial blessings. We've learned to trust him with what we have more each time we give. And our relationship with him has become stronger. Now I can't wait to give. I feel it is such an honor for us to be able to do this and to show God how thankful we are for all he has provided. We give now not to see what we will get, but to show how thankful we are for what we've been given. We like to say we're blessed to bless others. So here's a family that isn't far into church, like has been a church family, but never really crossed the line and said, I'm going to be a giver, like, and I'm going to set a standard for my giving, and I'm going to make sure that I honor God with the first of what he blesses me with. Tithing is a big churchy word that a lot of people don't like. It literally means a tenth. And so we believe that the church is funded by the people who call that church home, giving a tenth of their income for that church. And uh, so we shouldn't be out on street corners like doing car washes and stuff just so that we can reach people for Jesus. The people who call that church home, they should give. And that's what the Bible teaches, how the church is funded. I understand for a lot of people, like, to give 10% of your income right now, that seems like a, a big leap. Like, that's just not going to happen. It's not possible. And so my encouragement is always, like, no one's, like, looking at your bank account. No one knows what you make. And we're not calling you saying, it doesn't look like you've given a tenth this month, and we need you to give a little more. That's, that's not the heart of our church at all. I want you to know that, first of all. But I want to encourage us, like, start somewhere. Like, say, I'll give 1% of my income to the church. And then if you see that you can give more, you give 2% with the goal being 10 is what we believe the standard is for giving. If I don't teach people to give, it's almost like I don't care about them maturing in their faith. I care more about not hurting their feelings or stepping on toes or offending people than I do about them growing in their faith. And a mature believer is a generous believer. And so if we're going to make Christ known, it doesn't stop when someone crosses the line of faith and becomes a Christian. We're called to make people disciples, committed followers of Jesus. And with that comes giving. So I, I don't stand up here and, and beg you for money. I never have and I never will. But I want to encourage us as a church, if we can find a group of people that will commit to worship, call this their church home, and they'll serve whether it's opening a door or parking a car or holding a baby or changing a diaper or leading a small group or controlling lights, whatever that looks like. And then we invite people, specifically people who are far from God. That would be our target audience, not people that already are deeply committed to other churches. Though if they're not being used there, we'll be glad to use them. And then not only do we invite them, but we get them connected to a small group, to relationships. They have a place to belong. They're cared for. And then they become generous. I think if we can do those five things as a church and stay committed to those five things, then our church is always going to stay focused on making Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And what I believe is, is it will change the world. I really believe that with all my heart. And so, if we're going to be a church that doesn't become complacent or lukewarm 
or lacking for zeal, then we've got to be a church that's focused and purposeful and intentional in everything that we say and do. And I believe that, that we're becoming that church. Now, let me finish this letter and kind of give you a little bit of background based on what Jesus says to them as to how they became lukewarm. And, and I think for us that this will be eye-opening, maybe, maybe for some people. He says, you say, remember he's just said, like, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out, vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That's the, I think that's the condition of a lot of people in America when it comes to religion, that's what they call it. It's like, why do I need a God? Like, I've, I've got plenty of money, I've got everything I need, I don't have need for God. Okay? Church at Laodicea. You say you're rich, you've acquired wealth, you do not need a thing, but you, are, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then he says, I counsel you, my instructions to you, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now this is somewhat confusing, Okay. Jesus says to this church, you think you have everything and you have no need for me? Like you've acquired wealth, you're rich, you don't need a thing. But he says, actually, spiritually speaking, you're poor, you're wretched, pitiful, blind, naked. You're not in a good spiritual condition. Okay, and then he goes right out of saying you're poor, you're blind, you're naked, into saying, hey, here's, so here's my advice. Okay, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy from me gold that's refined in the fire. I want you to put white clothes on to cover your shameful nakedness. I want you to put salve in your eyes. Well, you just, you just told me that I'm poor. How am I going to buy gold from you? You just told me I was naked. How, what am I going to put on? You just told me that I'm blind. I would have put salve on my eyes if I had it, if I knew I was in that condition. And it's almost like don't we feel this way sometimes about God? You're expecting something a little much of me. Like, I can't really do that. And I think that's when we get to that point is when Jesus says, you got it. That's right. You can't. You're poor. You can't buy gold from me. But that's what I'm counseling you to do. You're naked. You don't have white garments, but put white garments on. You're blind. Now put salve in your eyes. You're like, how? Well, how do I buy it? Where do I get it from? What's the deal? I love, I love this when I was studying this. This week. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Verse 20, here it is. You've heard this scripture a hundred times if you've been around church. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. You, you catch what Jesus is saying there? You think you've got everything you need, but... You're poor, you're blind, you're naked. And in your poverty, in your nakedness, in your blindness, I want you to buy from me gold. And it's almost this picture like, so I'm supposed to go out and how do I do that? And Jesus says, this is a beautiful part about it. You can't afford it, you don't have it. But I'm at the door, I'm coming to you. And I'm knocking at your door. I've got everything that you need. In your poverty, in your blindness, in your nakedness, all you've got to do is open the door and I will come in and be everything for you that you need. Lukewarm church. 
You serve no purpose. I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You think that you have everything that you need, but you're so poor. You're blind, you're naked, so, so buy gold from me. Put salve in your eyes. Put white garments on to hide your shamefulness. And I know you can't do that, so I'm coming to you. I'm going to knock at the door of your heart. And if you'll just open that door, I can do in you and for you what you can't do for yourself. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the hope that we found in Christ. That's the beauty of the message of Jesus. Is not be better. It's not get your act together. It's not figure things out. It's simply let me come in and do what, I, what only I can do. And so, maybe for some of us here today, we may feel like maybe we are lukewarm. Maybe we don't have a zeal. Maybe we used to have a zeal. Maybe we don't have a zeal anymore. Maybe we would kind of say, you know, spiritually speaking, I'm definitely not hot. And some of us maybe would say we are cold. But I don't think Jesus would say, I'd rather you be cold than hot. I think that he would rather say, like, I want you to serve a purpose. You're not serving a purpose. And maybe for some of us here today, that's, that's us. That's our condition. We don't feel like we're serving a purpose in God's kingdom. And we don't feel like we are living our lives in such a way to bring glory to Jesus, to make a difference in the lives of others, to reach other people. Maybe we've been in church our whole lives and we still feel that's the condition of our heart. Jesus' instruction, his words to you, are to repent, to change your ways, to buy gold from him in your poverty, to put white garments, pure garments of righteousness known, despite your shamefulness, to put salve on your eyes to bring healing in those hurt, blind places of your life. And by the way, I know you can't do it on your own, so I've already done it for you. And I died on a cross for you, and I was thinking about you. And I knew that you were going to hear this message today, and I just wanted you to know that I'm here, and I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And all you have to do is open that door. And allow me to come in, and I'll eat with you. And we'll dine together. We'll have a deep relationship, and I'll do for you what you can't do in yourself. And so I would never be able to end our time together without giving you a chance to respond to that. We're not going to be a lukewarm church. We're going to stay focused on our purpose, on our mission. We're going to worship, we're going to serve, we're going to invite, we're going to connect, we're going to give, we're going to reach people for Christ. We're going to make sure we serve a purpose. How do you fit into that today? How do you feel after hearing Jesus' words to this church in Laodicea? Do you feel like maybe, spiritually speaking, you're poor? You're blind, you're naked, wretched, pitiful, you don't have things together? And does it feel a little overwhelming to, to think that you've got to get your life in order? You've got to fix things. You're just not quite there yet. And as soon as you get things fixed, then you'll, you'll start serving God. Here's the great news of the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. 
He's knocking on the door of your heart and all you have to do is receive, open the door and allow him to do what he can do. If you're here today and you wanna cross that line of faith and say, today I'm spiritually poor, I don't have things together and I need Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself and I'm ready, I hear him knocking, I know he's there and I've kept him out for a long time but today I'm ready to make things right, to allow him to come in. I just want to invite you. I want to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus in, to open that door, to receive and accept what he's done for you. I just want to know who you are before I pray with you. Would you do me a favor and just just raise your hand right there where you sit? Is there anybody at all? Awesome. Anybody else? Nothing to be ashamed of. Incredible. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to just lead you in a prayer. In this prayer, nothing magical about it. They're, they're not like a secret formula, like you have to say these words to invite Jesus in. But I just want to lead you in a prayer just to invite Jesus in. You just close your eyes, say this in your heart, and we'll believe that Jesus will do something in your life today. Lord Jesus, I invite you in right now. I open the door. I invite you to come in to my life. Thank you for loving me enough to do for me what I couldn't do in myself. I give you my life. I commit to live for you. I confess my sins and I ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen.